All right. When that button turns red, that means camera's running. All right. This is Brent Leary, and thanks for joining me. I like to call this the BBC, not that BBC, not the British Broadcasting Channel, the Brent Broadcasting Channel. And this is a special show, a special edition, because uh, we're going to spend the next hour getting to know a company you may think you know, but I don't know if you know them as well as you think you do. And that company, of course, is Zoho. And with us today, uh, I like to kind of introduce them and then my co-host for the next hour. But uh, with us today is the CEO and co-founder of Zoho, Schroeder Vimbu, and also the chief evangelist for Zoho, Raju Begesna, and my co-host for the evening, evening, morning, wherever you are, whatever time it is, is the publisher and founder of Small Business Trends, Anita Campbell. So let me just welcome all of you and thank you for making this hour happen. I've been really looking forward to this. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Anita, for having us. Hey, thanks for joining us. And, and I across all these time zones, too. Really appreciate it. <laughs> I know. I was thinking, you know, Schritter is in India. And he's like nine and a half hours ahead of me. And I think you and I, Anita, are on the East Coast. And then Raju is in Austin, which is an hour behind us. So all we need is somebody from the West Coast to just you know say hello. And look, we already have Martin Lindeskog, who is over in Sweden. So I don't know what time it is over there, Martin, but it's good to have you there. And it's also good to see Gail Gardner. Uh, click on the video if you did. It's already started. <laughs> and Evena, good to see Evena. It's the, the whole crew is in the house already. So it is great to finally get everybody uh, together and have this conversation because I think there's so many people who uh, know a little about Zoho. And let me show you one of the things they may know about Zoho. If I could pop this up real quick. So people probably know that you guys make a lot of apps. People probably know you, you have a lot of users, 45 plus apps, 50 plus million users, all these employees. It started 24 years ago, almost 25 years ago. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But 40, uh, 50 million apps, I've already been told that that number is kind of out of date because it's already 60 plus million <laughs> users. So those are some of the numbers and some of the things that people might have already known about you. But we're going to get into some other things that talk about how you guys did all this. And it's a relatively short amount of time. So uh, I want to start by saying Zoho has been around for 24, 25 years. But how long have you, Schroeder and Raju been working together? Because I think I've known you guys for at least 12, 13, 14 years. And I've always seen you two there. So how long have you guys, you know, been working together at Zoho? Twenty-one. Whoever wants to take that. Yeah, about 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 twenty-one, twenty-one years, twenty plus years. Twenty. That's amazing. Uh, I I could barely like uh, you know say hello to a neighbor that's been around for more than a day or so. So that's Actually, twenty-one years a, working. This is a common thing you notice within the company, Brent. Uh, and and there are some amazing things that happen when you have people who have been working along for a long periods of time, there's a lot of familiarity. I actually call this familiarity capital, if it makes any sense. Uh, like for example, uh, we will, I mean, we've been working 20 plus years, right? Now, these days he's in India, I'm in Austin. And when he calls me, 
Ali probably has to do, do is say, if he has a new idea, he has to say a couple of sentences. And that's it. I get it. Because there is that, that familiarity that is built over, over a period of time. There is a common context that we have had over a period of time, common history, common experiences. There is a common thinking and another thing, the common culture. All of that that you build over a period of time, you know, a couple of decades in this case. And, and that, I would call it unmeasurable familiarity capital that is built in the company. And we are fortunate to have you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that have that. I mean, take something like our CRM team. When we started CRM in 2003, around, around that time, we had a small team. 90% of the team is still working on CRM. 17 years later, look at the familiarity capital built in that. I think there is a organizations underestimate that that uh, familiarity capital and the, the value of that. And uh, a lot of times we take it for granted. But that's an important metric. The fact that you've been able to work for an extended period of time and you share those experiences where when we have a discussion, it starts at step nine, step eight, not not <laughs> step one, right? That is not discussed about in a world where shifting jobs frequently has become a trend, unfortunately. <laughs> sure, do you have anything to add to that? When <laughs> you no, no. actually do this, you don't have to. No, the word professional is used in a very positive context in business, right? I actually don't do that all that positively because to me, it communicates the idea that you have a bundle of skills, maybe a talent, but minus the human personality, what makes a person unique? You, I, Like I want all the skills, but I don't want you, the human person, I don't want you to bring your entire person to work, right? I just want the skills. That attitude is what the word professional conveys to me. And Raju is not a professional. Raju is like a you know, life partner. I mean, we've been together for 20, 21 years now. So we complete each other's sentences, right? So that is <laughs> what it calls that familiarity capital. And that's very important. I mean, even in technology, which keeps changing, something like this, the constancy is very important. So that's, <laughs> that's great. And I have to say, uh, there aren't too many companies that I know of that Anita, when we were walking down to uh, Zoholics last, I think it was last year, I would be, you know, talking to different uh, Zoho employees, and like the average person I talked to that worked at Zoho for about fifteen or twenty years, it was it's kind of you don't get that, you don't see that at too many other companies. Right. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, just the longevity and the. Um, just the the whole family feel of it. Everybody seems to know everyone is very comfortable. I mean, you don't get the sense of a lot of um, like machinations and politicking like you can in in big companies. So it's uh, it's pretty impressive. That's a that's yeah. a really good point. It actually feels like a much smaller company. We are almost pushing nine thousand people, but it doesn't feel like a large company inside. That's that's another thing during the family yeah. and, and you notice if you if you look at the the people now we have reached a phase where people have spent half their lives in the company yes. think about that we've been around for 24 years 
They've already so spent half their lives in the company. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> They, they may have spent more time with you than uh, with their spouses. <laughs> yeah. that's, where, that's where the the term that we have in our homepage actually describes it. We specifically say this is our life's work, like your life's work powered by our life's work. And that's how we really look at it. This is not work. This is our life's work. And, and, and a lot of our employees and my colleagues you all can attest to that because when you spend 20, 25 years with a company, that becomes your life's work and you're associated not just as, as a work, it's beyond, it becomes that, that the family feeling. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, because you do have that family feel and like every family, uh, this pandemic has really put us to the test. And maybe Shridhar, I'll ask you to start with it and Raju, feel free to follow up, but what has this experience, what has this pandemic experience uh, kind of taught you about Zoho and, and uh, where do you want to go and, and how do you want to take Zoho based on what we've gone through and, and what do you see for the future of the company based on these things? First, I mean, the technology, cloud technology clearly has scaled up so that we could work remotely. That's the easy part, just getting work done as you know, it, in the early days, the first few days, we actually thought, could, it, could we make this work? How long can it work? And six months out, we are still here and almost all of us working from home and it's, it has worked well. I mean, actually we have ship products, we support customers, we make sales, all of that. We do the marketing campaigns, all of that is happening. So all the work is happening. There is another element that I have actually slowly come to see and this is actually reported industry-wide. Some set of people, I would say maybe 20% of employees now have started to feel the effect of isolation at all. And there is people report loneliness and a lot of those, and I'm starting to see it. And I myself have actually, in Southern India, I've started to travel around. We are, as we start our rural offices, which we will talk about. And partly because I felt that the face-to-face -face is very critical. Actually, in some some of the offices people told me, they're so glad you came because you didn't just do the video thing, right? And it actually mattered that time I, I went there. And, and I, you know, in the beginning, I kind of ignored that advice. I said, I'll travel because I'm required to now. The business requires me. But now I've started to enjoy it and it's, it's actually been quite good. And then these rural travels that I've done, the face to face is important. So we have to come up with models where a lot of the work can be done remote, but we meet people for social that familiarity capital or the social capital those reasons i think that's where the model is going to evolve based on this experience how do you want to add something yeah i think the there is a current model and how is it going to going to play out is, is an important piece currently the remote work works because there is a familiarity capital right how are you going to hire new employees in a remote yeah. setting where you do not have any context those things we are still too early, and and I don't think we are, it'll it'll purely work in a in a pure remote context. So it has to be a combination of meeting physically in a, in, in preferably a remote location, and then on top of it developing or going from there. Uh, we are still in the early stages, but I think there are some new models, uh, and Shridhar will share a few. But there are some new models that that would work. You know, one of the things I, I, I want to put this uh, this picture up because I think 
this might set the tone for uh, where I want to go next. And that's because I know, Shruti, you're in India right now. And yeah. what you've done since you've been there, I've, I've had a chance to talk with Raju uh, and, and Sandy a lot about this. But while you're there, you're working, you're teaching, you're a teacher, you're teaching the local uh, the, uh, kids there. And you're you're trying to help build up the local rural communities uh, to be able to participate in this in this digital economy we have. What are some of the things that you are doing over there, and how is that kind of shaping not only you know what's going on in in the local communities, but how is that shaping your outlook and, and what you want to do with Zoho? Uh, just to back a little bit, I actually moved myself here almost about a year ago, actually, it's exactly a year now. It's probably September 29, 2019. So it's exactly a year now. And I didn't have a specific idea of what I was going to do other than we need new, explore new ways of work where we work, the new geography. A lot of that is what my thoughts were. That Clearly, to me, the big cities, bringing people into big cities, migration, a lot of these are not optimal, particularly in a world where this broadband has spread and uh, we could work from anywhere. It was obvious even a year ago. It wasn't just the pandemic that made us do it. So that's why I moved myself here. It was going to be an experiment, new experiment and I was going to try out. And uh, then I come here and I, of course, uh, you, and, and part of my rationale is also I want to get to participate in the community wherever I'm moving and figure out what the local problems are and, and participate in those. And rural India definitely has a lot of challenges, primarily jobs, primarily a lot of youth without jobs. And it is actually pretty much a problem everywhere. And in fact, in January, when we met in Austin, we had the uh, annuals meet, I actually talked about the job creation schemes, all of that. I did not yet have a full education how that fits into the picture in mind. And then I, almost as I, you know, all the kids were, you know, the schools were closed, like everywhere in the world, except that there's one difference here. The, the kids don't have broadband connectivity. Many of them only have a phone and there's not enough, you know, they don't have broadband actually. So they are in the schools, really, the rural schools in India are not really good with all the broadband capabilities also. So the kids were just roaming the streets, the pandemic or not. And I noticed that. I said, okay, why don't I just, you know, bring some of them home and invite them uh, and start having some, uh, you know, coaching sessions. I was going to talk about physics or chemistry or math or whatever subjects. Because anyway, they're getting bored and I will talk about something interesting. That's how it started. I actually demonstrated some simple physics experiments, the stuff you can do without any. Yeah, that's actually how it started. There was no plan. Kids were getting bored and I had some free time on the weekends. You know, nobody goes anywhere, right? You sit at home. So I thought <laughs> I'll do this. And then there was three kids and then it became six, then it became 15, it became 25, it became 35. At that point, I was getting overwhelmed because you know, I discovered what every school teacher already knows and I, I didn't know. All it takes is one kid will start giggling and laughing. The whole class completely falls apart, completely. I'm trying to teach them something serious like uh, 
Archimedes principle or something, and somebody will crack a joke. One kid will crack a joke about some insect on somebody's back. That's it. It's it's gone. The whole class is gone, and I have no control. Right at that point, I'm like pleading with the kids, pay attention, but they won't. <laughs> and, and so I, one of my, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this, and I'm trying to figure out how do how do I teach these kids now? And luckily, one of my colleagues and his wife is actually a school teacher. His name is Shibu. His wife's name is Jenny, and she is a school teacher. And she happened to visit. Uh, in one class, she took control of it. She taught me how a teacher takes control of a class, <laughs> and that was revealing, right? I, you know, how do you get control of these kids first so that you can <laughs> teach them? So that is actually what happened. And um, then I said, I was hooked. I said, no, we got to do this more. So we started making plans for more classes, more. And we actually hired some, you know, one of the things I mentioned is the rural unemployment. There were unemployed graduates here, and we actually just hired them to be teachers. And we actually trained some of the teachers. And we have now classes going on, on and off, because, you know, there will be a scare. Uh, there is coronavirus nearby, and we have to shut it down. And then again, regroup. These kinds of things, on and off, this, you know, on and off more. And finally, I think now we are on, because... India, pretty much collectively, everybody has started to ignore that thing. At least in rural areas, there is practically it has ended. That's the truth, actually. Even though there are cases, the, the case fatality rate is very low in India. I, I don't know anybody in these villages who has actually suffered by even though there are many cases. Which means that now we could do all these and the government has opened it up. So it said to whatever we want. The schools are opening too so. Now we actually have, today, many parents came to me and said, hey, we like your school. Maybe we will actually transfer our kids to your school from the regular school they were going to, the, the government school they were going to. So that is an awesome responsibility. So now we are thinking about curriculum, all the stuff now. We are inventing all this on the fly now, we're adopting some open schooling principles, all of that. So that's what is happening right now. It's a great experiment for me. That is more of an execution of what, what was discussed in, in Jan, right? I think you, if you remember, Sridhar was talking about Google revival. Uh, okay. I guess COVID provided that, that opportunity to accelerate that. Yeah, yeah I guess COVID I, accelerated January, a lot of things. Actually, in January, I didn't expect that I'd be running a school. But here I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, Anita, I don't want to leave you out. Did you have a question you wanted to uh, to ask? Well, I'd like to follow up on that because uh, you know you're you're talking about being so integrated with your community there, Sridhar, and you know that's a tremendous commitment. And and I, we've seen that actually for years. I mean, Zoho has had Zoho University, which I understand is now called Zoho Schools. So what I, what I want to ask you, and we'll, we'll talk more about that, I know, but, but for small business owners, now you were one at one time owning a small business before Zoho grew up. How does a small business owner integrate that kind of commitment to the community together with the need to make payroll and pay the expenses and keep the business going? I mean, how do you balance that? Any suggestions or thoughts? Yeah, uh, in fact, it starts with your workforce skill development and training. That's where it starts. Because, you know, before you think of the broader community, 
you first have to think about recruitment. You have to have a workforce. Where are you going to get the workforce? And I, I think suddenly it went off my line. Okay, so I assume I am live and I'm, I'll go. Oh, on. no, we're just, we're just highlighting you. you everybody's still <laughs> oh, here. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I don't feel that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. So I'll go on. So the, the first thing is to get, I mean, particularly for a small business owner, this is the challenge because, you know, bigger companies have formal recruitment and most of the people would want to work for prestigious companies and that's common. So you have to figure out how are you going to hire the talent you want and you need and how do you get them with the skills you want. So the skill development is the first step I would advise any small business owner to focus on and invest in your people. If there's a couple of people who are trusting you with their, you know, and, and coming join you, think of that as, you no, know, I'm trusting them, but they're also trusting me, right? As a, with their, with their career path. So if you take responsibility for upgrading their skills, then you are actually going to have somebody who's very skilled for your business. Two, they're also going to have that, you know, because you've taught them, there's going to be actually a loyalty factor that comes in. And that, hey, this company, this, this person is investing in me. So I actually you know, want to work for them, right? And that is how the community engagement begins. That is how it actually began for us. Our first thing is the Zoho University, now called Zoho Schools of Learning. That is where we started. And now that expansion of into other schooling or other activities is natural growth of the business itself. And again, as a small business, you know, as it grows, you have more resources. I actually encourage our employees to participate in community life actively. That's something that I keep pushing our employees. I say your job here is, is, is you know, is enhanced by your actual active participation in your communities. You are not just islands. We don't want to plop Zoho into a, into a community and be an island. We want to be very much part of that community. So that is the second part. That's what I encourage. I mean, that's an important aspect uh, is company that is company an asset to the community or is it a liability right and and the goal is to be an asset to the community participating and the way you participate also varies by the region by the company you know the the way you participate in india could be different from us could be different from mexico or, or japan and what that community needs and where the employees are interested in participating all of those play that play play that role I'll Oh. That, that, that's really great. If I could add, sure. ask a follow-up question, actually, um, uh, of Raju, of what, what you were just saying there. And, and thank you, Sridhar. That was, that was a great explanation. But um, so, so, Raju, we know that Zoho started Zoho University uh, a number of years ago. And so from what I'm hearing, it sounds like that was started out of a desire, needed the skills, for your company, and so you wanted to shape those skills, and so you created this coursework to do that. And now, Sridhar is going even even further downstream, getting them younger and younger. Basically, you know, can can you quantify how Zoho University has actually added to the Zoho bottom line? I mean, is there is there anything you can tell us about that or, you know, or you just know it deep down inside that it's made a difference? Well, if you're... Oh. If you're... Roger, you want to go on? 
you if, if you are asking to put a number uh, that I, i won't i won't do it <laughs> because exactly no go ahead go ahead sir go ahead sir yeah this is not actually something that it's purely a bottom line calculus i mean the school is not going to pay off for zoho specifically but it's going to enhance the community itself and indirectly it will pay off but the psychic value and i'll tell you the zoho university the payoff the payoff didn't come from just the students we invested in that that was a big payoff but the bigger one was how motivated our employees became to teach to volunteer all of that that the existence of zoho university motivated our existing engineers people already were working as employees in the company that hey i am making a difference here that was actually a bigger factor than just what the roi from the zoho university itself but that itself you know the way i see this really that in maybe in the first two years you are investing in them then the additional skills gain pay back to the business long term so it's a form of capital but you cannot quantify it because it's, it's actually in the heads of human beings right this is not an asset on a balance sheet but ultimately all value comes from our heads all value comes because somebody is doing the thinking it's not coming from buildings it's not coming from machines it's coming from human beings so investing in the human beings is the fundamental priority for any business It should be for any business so that's why i'm saying and that's why you nurturing that talent is the key what percentage is it you know, maybe lack of a better term exploit versus nurture where are you just hiring a bunch of graduates or are you investing in nurturing people particularly in the context of a community sure you can go hire all the, all the people out there but there are more talented people that may not have a college degree and what are, what are you as a, as a company doing to invest and nurture that that talent out there because you know end of the day it is not you know you know when when someone becomes become successful the key really is is not about the talent it is it comes down to opportunity uh, the reason for success is is opportunity if you give an individual an opportunity and nurture them through that so you're you're uh, you know polishing a stone to become a diamond and you're nurturing them and there are a lot of lot of uh, talent out there that are not given enough opportunity and if you can give them that that opportunity and nurture them that will that it and it's not just financial and i mentioned this earlier right? what's the point of being financially successful if you are if you are morally bankrupt and and similarly this is a this is an important point it is that that psychic kick that she was talking about that is equally important when when you nurture that that the talent and that as as a human there's a human element to that yeah i mean i'm always amazed when people you know who feel motivated and they feel like they're involved and engaged in a company they want to do so much more and they can accomplish so much more it's you know it's really it's really amazing what somebody who has a will can do for your company i mean they're they're like the equivalent of six people working in your company because they want it you know they feel so strongly they're committed they're they're engaged and and their creativity comes out i i get what you're saying there definitely so i i want to point out anita raju told me that it's been about 9 years or so since he and shredder kind of tag team and did one of these kind of things here. So, uh, I was like, "Yeah, this is way too long. So, we got to get this going." So, uh Raju, 
if you are in Anita and Mai's position, what mm -hmm. what should we ask Schritter? What question would be a good <laughs> question to ask Schritter? How much, how much time do you have, man? <laughs> we got all day, man. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, see, there are there are a lot of things we you know we discuss internally more than we discuss externally. Uh, Schritter comes up with a, with a lot of interesting things. <laughs> you know, uh, for example, you know, he came up with this uh, rural revival right earlier on this year. And similarly, he has come up with transnational localism. Maybe we can expand on that a little later. So like that, they, he comes up with a lot of these things. I would call these, I would group them under maybe, a, I would call them zoonomics. Yeah. The, the, the zoho way of, of doing things, zoho way of running, <laughs> running your business. Uh, maybe we'll discuss something that he probably hasn't discussed in public. Uh, so, Sridhar, can you talk about spiritual economics? <laughs> spiritual yeah. economics. Now, that, do I need to get my, my Bible out and <laughs> pass in the plate? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I, you know, this, uh, this the spiritual word there actually has a deeper connection. It's, it's the opposite of pure materialist focused economics or, or only not the economics of only the GDP and numbers. That is my critic and I'll, I'll, I'll explain this a little bit because we talked about this in the context of what is the ROI on an effort like those schools of learning, right? And I mentioned, yes, there is an ROI element, but that's, the benefit is much bigger than that even, right? And, and even the familiarity capital, Roger mentioned in the beginning, you cannot actually measure it. You cannot put it on a balance sheet. You cannot assign a number to it. That does not mean it does not exist. You see, one of the problems economics faces, the business world faces is, the only thing that counts is what can be counted. If it cannot be accounted for and put on a balance sheet, it might as well not exist in the business world. right? And, and that's likewise for economists in terms of GDP and all of that. And I have long felt that this is, and this is, this is philo philosophers have argued this point long that this is not actually the reality because our, you know, our, our subjective satisfaction of something, of service, of a product, those things matter as much as the objective ROI or the, or the numbers that we can assign to. And the biggest proponent of this idea in the technology industry, of course, was Steve Jobs, right? He actually talked about the aesthetic value of a product, aesthetic utility of a product, not just the, the objective features and functions, right? The product has something beyond its features and functions. There is an aesthetic subjective element to it. And that's exactly the same concept applied in the economic realm. And I actually have three cardinal principles that I use and there is, I call them balance, symmetry and harmony. And these are the fundamental principles in economics I talk about. And balance, I actually, in fact, I teach this to this village here because we are on the other side of this village is like the, the, the other side of the world from San Francisco. And I'll explain this, what I mean. Here, the terms of trade are stacked against them. What the villagers sell is rice, maybe some vegetables, okay? That's about it. That's about all, all they sell. What they buy include all the manufactured products, 
that includes your smartphones, your TVs, your fans, your tractors, all of that, all the all the manufactured products, even simple as simple products as nail clippers. I often talk about that. That even a nail clipper, they have to buy, right? And if you look at the terms of trade, it does not balance. They in effect having have to buy more value than they can sell. So they bridge it by exporting their own labor, migrant labor, or by borrowing money, getting in a debt trap, or some government transfer programs in some cases, which in most countries it's true. There are government programs to transfer resources to rural areas so that they can afford to buy products. All three. And, and they also sell off their lands. So steadily the farmers have to sell their lands because they can't make ends meet. All of them are observed in every rural area around the world and including in India. So this is the lack of balance in the economy. That what we export out of here does not meet our imports into the village. Okay, that's balance. The second idea is it's more subtle, deeper, it's symmetry. The idea is the composition of what the technical composition or the complexity of what you sell must match what you buy. And I'll give you a classic example of where that is not met. Take the oil exporting nations in the Middle East. They sell oil and, and buy everything else. They could be rich until the oil prices crash, when they suddenly become poor. Right? So I could be a big exporter of rice here and buy everything else using rice. But when the rice price goes against me, I'm completely screwed. I'm actually down in the dumps. And this happens, the boom bust cycle is known well known in all the developing countries that depend Chile on copper and uh, you know beef with uh, uh, Argentina where commodity prices crash, their economy goes into a tailspin. This is true around the world in developing countries. So the symmetry is an argument where the composition or the complexity of what I buy has to match the complexity of what I sell at a group level, at a village level, or a or a county level, or a, or a state level, all of that. And then harmony is internal notion where even as I do that, my internal groups that do the production have to be in harmony. There has to be a semblance of justice and fairness in your distribution system, or else we are going to see the social conflict which we also see around the world, that the inequality that is not, even if a country is rich, the US is a very rich country, but a lot of Americans are not feeling rich now, right? And that's the social conflict. So harmony is very important. So these are the three foundational principles, the balance, symmetry, and harmony. And I just grouped together them under this spiritual economic stuff. So that's the, I hope that, that gives you a, an idea. Raju, does that meet with your approval? That uh, answers that question. <laughs> well, given, given the time, that that's a good. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of one of Sridhar's or Zohanomics principles, I would say. Uh, All right, so we we direct our business strategy around how we bring balance to a community, how we create symmetrical uh, capabilities in the community. For example, in this village. We do need advanced capabilities in order to achieve that symmetry. So how do we balance our trade here? How do we bring symmetry? And how do we create internal cohesion so that the inequality is not so high that is social conflict? It has to be managed. So those are how we direct our own investments. Right now. Is, is that uh, kind of part of this transnational localism 
kind of exactly. idea that okay okay good thank you all so right i want to make sure we yeah that's the, the whole idea of transnational localism is driven by this economic principles that uh, that i derived and, and the idea here is we want to go into communities to bring up their level of balance of the trade so that there is employment as well as additional skills created so that there is symmetry that means that people have not only good jobs but also the skills so that they are resilient the local economy is more resilient even if our company doesn't do well they still have the skills that they can take elsewhere so that is the idea of localism and the idea of transnational comes in where we can network all these communities that's where the cloud comes in that's where all these tools come in right now we are doing this network conversation where we are sharing these ideas i mean i'll i'll, I'll, I'll summarize it this way the ideas are global you can share anywhere they cost nothing but the production must be as local as possible and the pandemic already taught us why because we need resilience in our production yeah. we cannot depend on far flung networks to supply us basic goods so the production has to be local but the ideas can be global because it's very easy to share as we are doing right now i want to bring in this question because i think it's a really good one i'll put it on the screen then i'll just ask either one of you wants to jump in so which is easier to find people with skills and desire or people with desire to learn and which is more important that came from mark holtgren so whoever wants to take that i would say the people with desire to learn are far easier to find to marry sit that is people don't have the skills but they have the will and the passion to learn and that's where a lot of our focus is on the other hand people with already the skills today the global economy provides them plenty of opportunities there is entertainers there is all that going on so it's really the people who don't have the skills but have the desire to learn that's the ones that are easy to find raju yeah i mean i i agree I mean, we are we are finding that across the board even even here uh, in, in us and mexico of course she's seeing that in india but that's fairly common it's uh, you'll find a lot of people who want to make a difference who has that that uh, fire in the belly if you just show them the direction nudge them in that direction they will go all in all you need is just show them the direction because at that age that is where some kind of a direction and guidance will will help that's where i like the, the apprenticeship model where someone with an experience can take over and be a guide for that for that small younger kid who is now uh, eager to make a difference who has that passion but doesn't like the guidance so that's why we like the apprenticeship model uh, more than anything else across the board uh so you're getting a lot of people that are saying yes 100% i mean a lot of people agree with what you're saying i i, I would have post up uh an image of a quote that i think came from a conversation that uh i had with shredder a while back because i want to get in and, and talk about this term cuz uh raju mentioned it to me uh recently and and i thought you know i know i heard somebody say that before and of course it was you shredder <laughs> so this this concept of leaving money on the table and how that plays into kind of the the zoho nomics philosophy maybe you could explain that for us actually it comes from that whole idea of balance right 
when we we know we are going to a lot of small businesses and they are stretched for resources and if you ask for a lot of money that means they are actually taking money that could have gone to some other purpose and taking it for ourselves so and that actually is the foundation of principle of our or wanting to serve that smaller business who are actually stretched for resources is why we said okay we want to leave money on the table we want to be as affordable as we can be we want to run conduct our own business in an efficient way so that we can actually give that to our customers and we actually repeated during this pandemic where about you know tens of thousand maybe about 15000 or so customers had our services free for a whole few months of that and that we could afford to do because we ourselves are quite you know frugal in our ways and then this goes back to other other point i think shridhar mentioned in the past which is we talked about costly inputs and commodity outputs right. and we don't want to become a costly input for our customer if we don't leave money on the table and if we extract you know or to use another term or wallet fracking to <laughs> 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 yes, right. So if if we if we do that, uh, then you become a, a costly input to the customer. But leaving money on the table is is the right way to do it, and that's something. You now the the concept of extracting whatever you can from a customer is not the right principle in the long run. In the short run, it may work out. You you can boost your your you know revenue in in a quarter. but in the long run you're becoming a costly input to the customer and that's not healthy on both directions you know the other thing i wanted to tie into uh, this leaving money on the table concept is your your uh, the zoho approach to customer data privacy and and protecting customer data you guys uh, i don't know if it was last year or early this year but you you basically took out all the third party code off your sites uh and a lot of those uh, the, that code is used for you know targeting campaigns and and to you know bring in leads and create ROI and things of that nature but you tore that out because of some of the things some of the the activities that these third party advertising platforms how they were using the data on the other end so maybe you could just talk about your kind of your stance on you know protecting customer data even at the expense of profits in in revenue we keep it very simple when it comes to data right our principles not to use any legalese one we don't own your data you do right we will never sell your data to anyone any third parties and then we will never do advertising on zoho you know we have a history of 24 years to to prove that all of these three are true and we'll continue to do that but then there are other things that are going on in the industry where uh the data is used abused auction and what not and that's a that's a practice we don't buy into so we took this stance saying that we will not we will not only you know take care of you but we will also protect you from the surveillance that's going on in the industry which means we will not embed any third party code from other surveillance companies on zoho properties so that your data is not is abused by third parties as well as long as you are you are using zoho tools and are you are on zoho properties we want to protect you it wasn't easy the amount of effort that we had to we had to take on was was significant 
because I mean the abuse unfortunately is significant. Partly it has to do with the you know the advertising based business models and 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 how abusive they they have become unfortunately. Now the irony is the the success the wild success of the internet companies might actually break the internet as we know it because the, the open internet as we know it i should say because now due to that privacy abuse each country wants to have their own firewall their own restrictions and all of that so now there is a there is you can you can assume that there's going to be a version of the internet for each country and a part of one of the key contributors to that is is probably the these companies who has gotten too big and collect all this information survey all, all of that all all you know citizen information and that is causing side effects and that could you know break the open internet but we want to try to bring awareness to the users on what they are uh, what they are losing what they are giving up but as long as they are on zoho's properties we want to guarantee that we we, we are going to protect their information and that's a commitment that that we are making and we are we are executing towards that you won't find trackers on on zoho site no third party trackers and and of course you never find any ads on on zoho sites even things like gdpr we adopt gdpr but we said uh, gdpr is going to be adopted globally not just in in europe so we are trying to be ahead of the game and uh, that that's a commitment that we have I want to take some questions. So, if anybody wants to throw some questions uh, at these these guys, this is this is maybe the next time this will happen. Having them both together will be another nine or ten years. So, you better take advantage of it. <laughs> Anita, did you have anything you wanted to? Uh, well, talk you know, about? I I wonder. I want to follow up on the um, protecting data privacy. Um, so, you know, that's a wonderful thing, and everybody's very sensitive to that issue today. Have you noticed any adverse impact on uh, Zoho's business as a result of that? Have you, you know, collected fewer leads, or you know, or maybe it's actually worked to your benefit? I mean, wh- how would you describe the benefit? Do you want to take it to that? Sure. I think we might have frozen up a little bit there. Okay. Raju, you might want to go ahead and take it. I think. Sure. Yeah, I think he's back. You want to take that, Shizar? You want me to? I think we should go ahead with okay. Raju. In the and then, but over time, it's kind of adjusted itself, and now we are back on track. But we actually were prepared for an impact and. and I, I think I think we better let Raju I think we better let Raju take it because Shredder we're not getting you clear so Raju why don't you go ahead and take it there is in terms of you know, impact again this is not one of those this is one of those decisions where we don't make purely based on on numbers we basically said this is a philosophical decision and not everything can be measured out there so does it have an impact maybe it does but maybe a little bit but we are that is fine and and we are willing to let that you know impact be because this is a philosophical stance and it has it has nothing to do with just purely numbers it is again 
if you are purely a finance driven numbers driven organization then yeah you know you will pay pay close attention to that but there are more things that are more important than than numbers or what you can capture in a in a spreadsheet because not everything can be captured in a spreadsheet you know how how do you put a value for culture in a in a spreadsheet cell how do you put a, a value for importance of privacy and and all of these are are again uh, philosophical decisions and not purely driven by numbers that's a very unusual approach i think in and um, among large companies but i you know I, i would say just looking at you know the numbers of users and so on i mean zoho keeps growing i mean just look at things and i'll bet there's just a, a group out there that really really appreciates that that philosophical stance that you've taken i mean that's got to be a real positive in a lot of people's eyes and we, one way to look at it is are we i mean as as a user obviously we are we are users of our own products do we want to be tracked yeah. and right. if you don't then why create products that encourage it and why do it with with your own business i think then that then the decision becomes fairly easy that it makes so much sense it almost people will overlook it because it it just makes so much common sense what you just said that's great um i want to ask i want to I, i was trying to stay away from product related stuff but this one i think is kind of important so I, i'm just going to ask uh, raju i know you're really focused on this particular one uh it says does zoho have a long distance communications tool similar to zoom i know the answer but i would rather you talk about it and and talk about kind of how you're shaping that for the future sure i think we we actually have a tool called zoho meeting that is for meetings you know that's similar to zoom and, and what not and we are investing heavily heavily in that there is also another tool called showtime for hosting online events and we do a bunch of events on there as well when you have multiple panelists like in this particular scenario we could host something like this on on showtime and and and, and do a session and these tools are constantly evolving and and we are investing a lot on it and the and this is going to be a, a marathon and something like you know video conferencing tools will play a critical role but our advantage is going to come in when you embed all of these contextually within all business tools across the board because the irony today is collaboration apps don't collaborate what i mean by that is collaboration apps don't work <laughs> with other collaboration applications well enough so that has to change and that's where we we can make a make a difference all right i got another question i, I think this one we should we definitely need to get to i'm going to post it up here uh vijay chadja i hope i said that right what are the opportunities in zoho's ecosystem for entrepreneurs as mentioned in the context of this webinar Yeah, a lot of I think we've covered a lot of ground but I think yeah this is a good one to tackle before we we close things down. Whoever wants to take that one. You online shit? Okay. Yeah, I'm online. My connection is good. Raju. So, uh, we have you know there are interesting ways we have some customers doing building business on top of their own their own on top of the Zoho platform and in some cases we have customers who turned into partners because there is an opportunity in the context of 
uh, of Zoho. We have had, I think, one, one partner who basically started shipping devices, physical hardware, uh, with, with an operating system and then put Zoho on top of it and literally make it an operating system for a business and started selling, selling hardware in there. There are, so that, that's happening. And then there are some, there is other, a lot of businesses that focus on verticalizing Zoho because we have a lot of tools out there. But if you take these tools and hyper verticalize it to a specific vertical, in some cases that vertical may only exist in that particular country in that region. There's no way Zoho, the horizontal suite, cannot address that specific needs. So we are seeing significant interest from partners to customers who are taking it, verticalizing it, because Zoho is a platform, verticalizing it and selling it. And there are cases where they are selling it with their own brand name. So they are, they are slapping their own brand on top of it and selling it as their own product. And then and, and we, we love that, that idea. You know, and, and the concept of OEM itself. And I joke with Sridhar that, you know, here we are 24 years later, we are back in the OEM business because we, that's where we started <laughs> in 24. It's a, it comes full circle again. Um, could I ask a follow-up question to that, Raju? And that is, are there particular apps that lend themselves to um, a partner building on them, like CRM or Creator or other ones? Uh, or is it multiple apps that that companies are using, such as you described? I mean, the, the apps you you mentioned, like the CRM and Creator, are, are a critical critical piece here, Anita. So, you know, CRM is used among various verticals. We have a, a customer uh, slash partner in Australia who's optimized CRM for the insurance vertical in particular. We have another one close to where you live in, in Florida. They optimize it for the travel vertical, which, which makes sense. Like that, we have several uh, people who verticalized uh, uh, verticalized CRM for that purpose. And Creator is is a similar thing, which tells well for the same thing. Recently, there is a, a company called Fluid Truck. They do truck rentals, and they built their their entire business on on Creator where you know, they, they rent out the trucks and the back end is, is powered by creator like that. Both are, are platforms, but then there are other tools that, that hook into it uh, nicely so that uh, it doesn't feel like it is, it is some third party tool. In San Francisco, we have a company called Mission Bicycles. They, they create custom bicycle solutions for a business where you can go online, go to their website, Mission Bicycles, and customize your entire, entire bicycle and build it and order it. And you may not realize that the backend is all Zoho Creator. So like that, whether it is CRM or Creator, you know, and, and several other tools out there, they are ready to be plugged into the system as well. So yeah, we have several customers doing it. And each each scenario is very unique. It, it enlightens us on, on how they are using in innovative ways. Yeah, great. Hey, I've heard of that bicycle company you mentioned, so I'll have to check that out the next time I go to their website. That's amazing. We, we, we loved it. And in fact, uh, we ordered a few bicycles ourselves with, with the Zoho colors in there because you can customize it, right? So, so if you are in, uh, say, Pleasanton office or even Austin office, the bikes you actually see there was from Russian bicycles. 
and we went through that form, customized them, ordered them, and we got it delivered. Nice. <laughs> oh, Zoho, creator or whatever in action. So. <laughs> uh, maybe you could talk just a little bit about the marketplace too. I know you guys have a, a marketplace where you Absolutely. have- Absolutely. We yeah. have a, a good marketplace. We have over a thousand uh, extensions out there where People who can who are looking to build an extension, if Zoho is missing a certain functionality or if you are verticalizing it, you can create that that as an extension, publish it in the marketplace, and of course make money. And the marketplace is beautifully integrated uh, across various products out there, and that's that's another opportunity. There are various other solutions out there. Again, varies by region to, to what not, but uh, yeah, that certainly is, is out there. All right, so we're kind of running close to the end, but I, I have to ask each of you, uh, Shredder, I hope your connection holds up just long enough yeah, to, yeah. to answer this. Uh, where's, what do you see post-COVID? What do you see for the, the greater economy? And what do you see for small businesses in general when you think of you know, what happens after we get past this? And Raju, you follow up if you could. Okay. The primary things we see is that we that COVID exposed a lot of the fragility in the whole global economy, and we need much more resilience. And that also means a lot more localism. We talked about that where production has to be localized, while knowledge has to be sort of global. Knowledge has to spread everywhere, and that is crucial production knowledge, capabilities, know-how. And that has to be you know, spread, but production has to be much more localized. And so that communities achieve more balance and they take part in the global economy on a more symmetrical and equitable way, because that's that's very critical. I mean, this whole inequality is coming to the the forefront now in, uh, in the whole world, actually. And, and, and it's, it's driving geopolitics right now. So that for that, we definitely need uh, the localized production structures, localized knowledge, localized know-how, capability, all of that. And that is how I believe the, the, the whole global economy is going to shape. And, and companies investing with a theme in mind, then we can take part in that, that new sort of structures that emerge. And, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity for small business from actually the current uh, things when new resilient structures can be built. And I would actually encourage entrepreneurs to think, think local, think in terms of uh, employing people who are out of jobs now, skilling them, and those things create massive opportunities as, as growth eventually resumes. And it's also about sustainable development where we definitely globally, I mean, this is true in every country, that we cannot go have this consumption like this where we cannot just measure ourselves by how much we consume. We have to actually have uh, more balance in our lives too, not just focused on, we are not just consumers, we are human beings first, and, and citizens, not just consumers. So on that, and, and today the economic landscape is, if somebody doesn't consume, I don't have a job. That's not a, you know, that's not a very good way to arrange it, and there are better ways to arrange it. And that's the, that, those are the things that I think are going to be topics in the forefront of the post-COVID world. Raju? Yeah, absolutely. And we certainly are, are executing along those those lines, right? And 
And on top of it, uh, I think we believe in the, the rural revival, as Sridhar mentioned earlier. And we certainly are, are executing towards towards that. Uh, you know, I know I'm in Austin. It seems like every company is moving to Austin these days. And and so it's it's about time we move out of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> when they zig, you zag, right? Yeah. So we we are start we are going to you know some towns close by outside of uh, Austin and and we started uh, you know hiring and there's amazing talent available if you can nurture and now it's a matter of setting up roots in a small town and nurturing the talent and then being an asset to the community embedding with the community and then executing that we are doing that globally i mean Sridhar is doing that in india and uh, i remember several years back he was in japan opening a rural office in, in japan we're doing that here in austin we're doing that in canada mexico colombia so globally you're following the same approach in other words uh, it goes back to transnational localism where we are certainly as we in each of these these regions we we be part of the community and be an asset to that particular community but the underlying fabric the commonality is uh, or the common i would say skeleton the framework is the culture so we're all connected by the, the common way of thinking and the culture and whatnot but we expand and be part of the economy and and contribute back to the to the local community so all of these are, are part of the the post-covid uh, execution strategies certainly for for zoho and I, I think we i hope we'll see a lot more companies taking taking an active role in the community and, and building it up building up that that production capability and not just focus on uh, consumption itis as Sridhar calls it. That's another new term from Zoho, folks. <laughs> Come with uh, before we close out, Anita, did you want to add anything to what they said or just uh, you know have any final thoughts? Well I think uh, you know I, I would just say this that um, you know those of us in business we tend to focus a lot on numbers and you know, hard facts and the bottom line. And, you know, I know that's where my head is a lot, but but you've really given us a lot to think about that there's, you know, more of a, just the holistic um, business person that you have to think of and the holistic view of the world here. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's really inspiring for all of us, that we really ought to think about that Now, think about ourselves in the context of our community, not just inside the four walls of our company, and think about what we're contributing, think about, you know, how we touch those around us, and then think of the people who work for us and, and how they touch others around them too. So I, I would just say, I thought that was pretty awe-inspiring actually to hear you both talking about this. Thank you. I, I thought this whole hour was awe-inspiring. And I think from uh, from what I've seen in the comments, is it just flowed throughout the whole time. People were, people were writing so big comments, I couldn't even put them on the screen because it would have covered our whole faces up. <laughs> so there's a lot of great conversation that you guys sparked. And we need to make sure that we don't get another nine or 10 years go by without bringing you two together for these kinds of conversations because I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it looks like everybody else did too. So with that said, I just want to thank Schritter and Raju and also Anita for being my co-host and for everybody who joined us and left comments and 
this has been a great hour, and we hope that you got as much out of it as at least I did. So with that said, we will hopefully see you soon, and we hope you have a great day or night or whatever it is at your current time of day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Brenton. Thank you, Anita.